Good morning, everybody. We're wrapping up our series this morning. We've been doing for about the past month. I ask you to grab your notes and get ready to take some notes this morning. The name of our series is The Hole in Our Gospel. And The Hole in Our Gospel is a phrase that was coined by author and president of World Vision, Richard Stearns. Stearns was a business mogul up to about 15 years ago when he traded in his Botany 500 suit at the Lennox Company to take the helm of World Vision. In the last 15 or 20 years, he circled the globe visiting marginalized people who are in need of justice and suffer from poverty all over the world. In that time, he figured out that there was a hole in his gospel. By that, he means this. He thought that the gospel was about getting people's souls saved for eternity, and that is a big part of the gospel. That's at least half of it. But he found out that when he was visiting people around the world who were in poverty and suffering from injustice, that often Christians did not see that the gospel, the good news, needed to come to bear in our lives now in light of eternity and where we are going with God. Our destination affects our journey. And so he came up with this phrase, there's a hole in our gospel, there's something missing, that those two things should be connected, eternity and our life today and our journey with Jesus Christ today. Often there's a criticism that's levied at Christians, and it goes something like this. We're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. Have you heard of that before? That we're so focused on heaven or getting people into heaven that we're not really concerned with the plight of people as they live on this earth. Earlier in this series, we talked about that, and we talked about what it takes to authenticate the gospel. That the gospel needs to be something that we articulate, needs to be something that we demonstrate, it also needs to be something that we authenticate by the way that we treat people and how we live our lives. So today we're going to pull this all together and talk about the task at hand. Pull the whole series together and you've made it through seven weeks of this series. Turn to the person next to you and say, I survived the seven week hole in the gospel series, okay? Go ahead and do that right now. Yeah, we usually don't do a series quite that long, so you survived it, and you're probably wondering, what else can he say about the whole in the gospel? What else? Well, Jesus had a lot to say about it, and so we're going to look into a parable that Jesus gave about a great banquet that will happen at the end of all time. And Jesus was a masterful storyteller. Often when he would be asked a question, he would reply with a story. And that's exactly what happens here. He isn't really asked a question, but a phrase comes to him, and he challenges the phrase that comes at this banquet. Jesus is actually sitting at a banquet when he's talking about and teaching about the great banquet, so it was a very appropriate time. He was having a meal with some Pharisees, religious leaders who had much prestige in the culture of their day, and he was reclining at the table in their home. Now, in those days, i got to give you a little bit of background, they did not sit at an elevated table like we do with chairs around it. Their table would have only been about so high, and around the table there would have been pillows that they were reclining on. That's why it says in the Gospel about uh, John, the disciple, he was reclining at the table. So you'll often see that they were reclining at the table. They weren't in lazy boy chairs sitting back at the table. They actually would recline on their elbow. Um, And at, at banquets like this that Jesus was at, people would want to be known to be with the person who was of prominence. 
And at a great banquet, like this one Jesus was at, the tables would be set up in a U, and the guest of honor would be at the top of the U. So what would happen was these religious leaders were coming in, and they were trying to get next to Jesus as though the paparazzi was there taking pictures of Rabbi Rabinowitz seen with Jesus today at the great banquet. And so they're actually physically leaning on each other, trying to get other people to move away so they can be close. Whether they agree with Jesus or not, they knew that he had done miracles. They knew that he had a great following. Whether he was controversial to them and they didn't like him, or whether they did like what he was teaching and what he was doing, they wanted to be seen with Jesus because being seen with Jesus up their prestige in the community. They were someone who was invited to be there. And so Jesus challenges them, stop leaning on me. Stop physically leaning on everybody else and trying to position yourself to get the seat of prestige and honor at the banquet. As a matter of fact, you should take the other seats, the seats that are far away from the guest of honor. Then he even turns the corner with them and he says to them, when you have a banquet, invite people who are seen as outcasts. People who normally wouldn't, people who can't invite you back. Usually people were invited to a banquet so that what? They could be invited back to another banquet. And there was this kind of cycle of people that get invited to banquets. And he's saying, break the cycle. Invite those in who would never get invited to a banquet. The poor, the sick, the lame, the blind, the outcast. People that can't repay you an invitation back to their banquet. And that's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 14. And I want to read it to you. Please listen as I read Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 15 to you. It says, When one of those at the table who was with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. This is the phrase that tips off Jesus going into the story. Basically, this man is saying, uh, Jesus is saying, don't sit at the, at the seat of prestige. Invite the poor, the lame, the blind to come in. And this guy just kind of sits back and says, hey, I'm in. I'm going to be sitting at the great feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm in. I don't really care about what you're saying about this poor, lame, blind people. What you're saying about being humble. I'm in. Blessed am I. He's kind of blessing himself. He's full of blessing. All right? And full of himself. And so Jesus replies with this. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant out to tell those who had been invited, come now, for everything is ready. But they began to make excuses. And the first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I cannot come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town, bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you that no, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And so... When we look at this, we can mine for gold. We can see all kinds of things. But I want us to see three things this morning in this simple story that Jesus taught, yet a poignant one, and masterfully taught by him. Three things that can help us seal up that hole in our gospel as we attend to the task that is at hand. The first one is this. We accept the task at hand when we understand the beauty 
when we understand the beauty of God's invitation, the beauty of the master who is inviting those to come to the great banquet table. We notice that this guy is leaning back at the table, and he's kind of saying, you know, blessed are those who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. He's basically saying, I'm in. Now, Jesus here is not, uh, he's not wanting people to question whether or not their salvation is valid. What Jesus is trying to say to this man is this, are you so sure you're going to be there? You sound so cocksure that you're going to be there. Are you so sure you're going to be there? Because he tells a story about how the honored guests aren't there and never get to eat the food of the banquet. And uh, so Jesus is saying, just wait a moment. Stop jockeying for position in the kingdom of God and prestige at the table. Stop trying to be one of the elite or privileged. Look at God's banquet table. He invites people of all different kinds. Now, Jesus had been ministering, and many times the rabbis and the religious leaders didn't like what Jesus was doing because he would minister to the masses and the crowds and the people. And he would say, you can understand the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, you are part of the kingdom of God and would call them to be part of the kingdom of God. Where the rest of the Jewish leaders would see them as being outcasts, Jesus was inviting them in to the table of God. And they had a lot of trouble with Jesus doing that. But Jesus was doing that because God had revealed himself even to the nation of Israel down through the years that way. The prophet Isaiah said this about the great banquet that God was preparing. He says this, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a, rich, a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We have trusted in him and he saved us. This is our Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. It's as though they're saying a blessing over the table. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Remember that little saying? It's almost like they're saying the same thing. Surely this is our God. He has saved us. And we are sitting at the banquet table with him. And he has brought us and engrafted us into his family. There's a beauty of the invitation of God is that God is the one who can take the shroud away from our eyes for us to see that all of us, when we come under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, are able then to come to the banquet table of God. All of us, no matter race, no matter background, no matter origin, no matter where we're from on the earth, or the other things that we may have been taught to believe or believe, when we believe and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrificial atonement of him, we can sit at the banquet table of God. And that's why he came, to set up that banquet table and to make a way for us to be engrafted into God's family. That is the beauty of his invitation. And when we realize that the beauty of his invitation is for all people, for all people, then we are not one of those people sitting back at the banquet table saying, I'm in and being smug about our belief system or our Christianity. We are a person who with open arms welcomes all people and calls all people to come to the banquet table of God. The second point I want to talk to you about this morning is this. We accept the task at hand when we don't delay with excuses. When we don't delay with excuses. 
In the story, the excuses here seem somewhat ridiculous. As a matter of fact, when they're listening to the story, they're probably going, oh my word, rolling their eyes. And Jesus is masterful at telling his story. He says that, you know, one of the people says, I can't come because I just bought an oxen and I have to go try them out. Well, in that day, no one would ever buy a piece of livestock without looking at it first, even trying it out. As a matter of fact, they would have times where they pulled the livestock together they would harness it up and see how well it plowed the land, especially in oxen. They would have never just bought an oxen without looking at it and trying it out. It's ridiculous. They also would have never bought a piece of property with going to look at it. Who here would buy a piece of property without going to look at it? Except for maybe someone who bought a piece of property in the Great Plains or in Utah or someplace like that. Or Mars, Right? You go and look at the property, you inspect the property, you make sure that the boundaries of the property, you meet the other property owners that are around it, you do some work. You don't just, oh, I bought a piece of property, lame excuse. Also in that day, when you were newly married, any banquet that you were invited to, you would immediately say, yes, I'm coming. Because you would show off a little bit as a new bride and groom. It's the same same way these days. When a new bride and groom, new couple come together, they kind of want to let everybody know, we're together now, we're married now. And here's my husband, here's my wife. Let's get to know each other. Uh, It happens. And it's normal and natural. What's not natural is to say, we just got married so we can't come and show off a little bit who we are. So these excuses would be ridiculous. And the excuses came after these people had already secured their place at the banquet. The text says they had already said they were coming to the banquet. They had already RSVP'd. So they RSVP'd. The maker of the great banquet gets all the space together, all the pillows together, sets up the tables, everything's made, and then he says, okay, tell the guests to come, and everybody comes up with some lame excuse, why not to come to the banquet table? And Jesus says, that's the way it is much with the kingdom of God. People have excuses about why they're not responding to the invitation of God. They seem kind of ridiculous, but... My excuse is sometimes that pointing people to the table seems ridiculous to me too. How many times have you said to yourself, I would like to serve God in a certain way, and I'll do that when I retire. I'll do that when I get this much money. I'll go on that trip when. I'll minister to those people when I finish this part of my education. I'll do this for God when, and we put it off. And the Spirit of God is telling us and compelling us to invite people to the banquet table now. They can even be simple things, not even larger things in life. It could be as simple as you're walking down a street and and someone's, you know, begging you for some money and God says, give them a dollar now. I remember one time walking down the street, first time I ever gave some cash away to somebody and I'm thinking, oh, I shouldn't give this cash to them, should I give this cash to them? And I felt like God saying, give them everything that's in your wallet. Well, thankfully, I only had $7 in there. And so I reached in and gave him my, that $7. But I kept seeing that person because I was young and we were newly married and I would have to pick up my wife every Saturday. And so after a while, God just told me, make him a sandwich. Make him something to eat. Give him something. Just, just take something there. And almost every Saturday when I pick up Debbie, I'd wander over to the dumpster where this person was looking for their next meal and I'd just hand him something. Just simple as that. Like Pastor Sean, who shared with you a couple weeks ago, what he would do in the raw reality of his faith, I hope that gets restored in my heart and yours this year. That we would be people who hear the whispers of God in the smallest of moments and then follow up and do it. That we would have a just-do-it Nike faith this year. 
And we'd hear God and we would respond. Sometimes we think of grandiose dreams and things that we want to do, and they're great. And maybe someday they will happen, but God says, just respond now. Stop with the excuses. Kim Pfeiffer is a Daybreak member who found that if she was going to address the whole inner gospel, it was going to mean to stop making excuses and start pointing people to the table of God in Haiti. Let's watch her story together. Hi, my name is Kimberly, and I live and work in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. My main job is to serve in a girls' home orphanage, working with 23 girls from the ages of 8 to 21. I also get to work in a tent city doing community development and helping with teams on week-long trips. As I'm sure you've heard, there are many dark places in Haiti. I usually don't go a day without seeing a family living in a tent or a mother who can't feed her child, children without shoes and a baby without parents, a father desperately trying to find a job or a husband that abuses his wife. Most of the times, it's too much for me to take. I very quickly and easily become overwhelmed. But I'm finding that God's first desire of me isn't to penetrate this darkness in Haiti. It is to penetrate the darkness in my heart. Those dark places where I find my worth in what I'm doing and in what I've accomplished. Where I see my value in how many buildings I have helped build how much food I have handed out, or how fast the girls I work with are learning computer skills. In the midst of trying to rack up the numbers, I hear God say this, Kimberly, would you be still long enough to find your worth in me? That no matter what you do or do not do, I love you. You are already worth it. You are good enough. When I first take the time to fill the dark places in my heart with these truths, I begin to outwardly penetrate the darkness in Haiti naturally. I can rest while I'm working. Because I can confidently rest in who I am, not the measurable outcomes I produce, I am free to take the time, the time to get to know a Haitian and help teach him how to build a house alongside of me, even if that means less houses being built. To train a Haitian in a skill so she can earn an income to buy her family food, therefore increasing her self-worth and self-sustainability. To continue teaching computer classes ever so slowly and inefficiently due to my lack of language skills and cultural understanding. Trusting that the girls just need to be me to be present in their lives, seeing my effort as love. Penetrating the darkness is more about slowing down enough to hear the spirit speaking. And I heard once before that the spirit very rarely respects one's comfort zone. How true that is. The spirit often calls us to take a risk. Not a risk to do more or work harder or serve longer, but a risk that is uncomfortable. That thing that usually sits in my gut and I say, okay, God, I'll do that later. Next week, I'll talk to that person. Next time I see my family, I'll have that, that conversation. I'll set boundaries and slow down once school is finished. It is taking risk to listen to that gut feeling, that still small voice, here and now, in your present and your immediate surroundings. Not always in another country, and not always later when your kids grow up or when you're retired from your job, but what you feel the Spirit calling to you right now. When I do this, I soon notice I begin to get messy. It's not neat and easy and clean, but it's worth it. It's truly living. And like the broken, I find myself calling out to God for answers. When my best efforts have failed, I am left with nothing to cling to but frail faith. 
In a strange twist of divine irony, those who would extend mercy discover that they themselves are in need of mercy. Mercy from a great big God who is more than willing to give it. And I begin to realize that in this whole process, God is changing me. And that is where the task at hand begins. If you would like uh, some more information about Kim or her ministry, you can just note that on your card today. But notice what Kim was saying there. Kim was saying this, when she responds to the voice of God and doesn't make excuses, God extends his kingdom not only on the outside of her, but on the inside of her. The kingdom comes alive in her. Her decision to follow Jesus Christ a few years ago and to cash in her payment plan for her sins, for Jesus' payment plan, made a place in eternity for her. And now the light shines backward from that place, illuminating her path to walk in a life-changing journey with Jesus Christ. At daybreak, our vision statement says this, helping people discover a life-changing journey with Jesus Christ. By what? Celebrating God's grace, connecting with God's family, and contributing to God's work. Let's all stand up right now. I'm going to give you a lesson. I do this in journey class all the time. I can see the journey class participants. They're all grinning and laughing. They know what's coming. Okay. You're going to do the three motions that have to do with our vision, which are celebrating God's grace, connecting with God's family, contributing to God's work, okay? And some of you are dexterous enough that you can actually do them and say the words at the same time. I've seen you. Now, some of you can't. You're going to hurt somebody next to you. You should just do the hand motions, okay? But what we are about as a church is about being a church of the whole gospel that what? Helps people discover a life-changing journey with Jesus Christ that celebrates God's grace, connects with God's family, contributes to God's work. Now, sit back down. Go ahead. If you can do those three hand motions, you can remember what God wants you to do with your life. To celebrate his grace, to connect with his family, and to contribute to his work so that you're someone who's helping other people discover a life-changing journey that takes them through this life, a gospel that affects this life and the life that is to come that doesn't have a hole in it. The third point I want to talk to you about this morning is we accept the task at hand when we become inviters and includers of those around us. When we become inviters and includers of those around us. It says that the servant came back and reported that nobody was coming. And so the master said this to the servant, go out and bring in the poor and the crippled and lame. Bring them in. Then he said, we brought them all in. There's still room. He says, go back and compel them to come in. Tell them to come in. Drag them in. Bring them in so that what? My house will be full. That's the heart of God. That his house will be full of his children of all tongues and tribes and people and nations. The picture here is almost absurd of these people putting God off. But one thing that I notice in many of the parables of Jesus is this. The servants in the parables get to enjoy and do and be part of the mission and the work of the master. Over and over again you see this. And it's the same in this parable. The servants are the ones that the master says, go out and compel them to come in. Go out and be inviters and includers. That's us. We're the ones that are to go out and help people discover a life-changing journey with Jesus Christ. We are the ones that God has entrusted to us that great plan. If someone can bring my water up, that would be great. It's on the floor down there. 
Now, I want you to reflect back, now that I have my voice back, to the guy who got this whole thing started in the first place. Remember him? Leaning at the table, not worried about anybody else around him. He's had enough of the good news to get him into heaven someday. He's going to be sitting. He's fully Jewish. He's a religious leader. He's in. His ticket is stamped. And so, blessed am I, because I will be sitting at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, as Christians, we can become so assured of ourselves and what we believe that we can begin to care less about people around us and care less about how the gospel and the good news can affect them both for eternity and this life now. And we can adopt that same attitude. We can sit back and say, I'm in, I made it. We can start to attend church and think that we're in and we're made it. We can just become a religious person like this guy was and say, oh, I've got all the religious trappings down, so I'm in and I've made it. Back in the early 1900s, Billy Sunday, who was a great evangelist and street preacher, said this. He came off some great one-liners, and this is one that he said. Going to church does not make you, um, does not make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. So sometimes we can get just so so assured of ourselves, so assured of where we're going and what we're doing that we begin to care less about other people. No, Jesus was not challenging eternal security. Jesus was not wanting you to sit down here and wonder if you're going to make it into heaven or not by doing good things. No, Jesus wasn't saying that. Jesus was saying, don't get so, so full of yourself and so removed from other people that need me and need my touch in this life, that you sit with arms folded and a cold heart toward them because you're going to make it and your beam of light is coming down on your pathway. He's saying, care. Move out of the seat of honor. Move into the streets. Go find the people that need God and compel them and invite them. Share your story. Share what God's doing in your life. Let me come to life. Let me affect not just your eternity, but how you're living now. Let there be no hole in your gospel so that God is providing and getting ready for a great banquet table for all of his children. A few years ago, I was privileged to be able to go to Ecuador and to serve with a team from daybreak there and to serve the people of Peos in just on the, border, the borders of going into the Amazon jungle. We were just kind of on the outside. The Amazon jungle is huge. 1,500 miles wide, which is absolutely enormous. So we were just on the outskirts, just, just inside of the Amazon jungle. And we were ministering to these people where there was one Christian family in that village, and he happened to be the village leader. And so he got us an invitation to come. And uh, we went in uh, mostly by bus and then the last little way by canoe and got in there, and they welcomed us. It was amazing how welcoming these people were. They'd never met us before. And only one, they knew we were Christians. We knew they were there to share our faith with them. And um, so they invited us in. But I noticed that even in the first couple of days, and they're cooking us food. They're putting us up in their homes. And, you know, they didn't have much, but they were giving us the best of what they had. But they would never sit down and eat with us. And that kind of troubled me. They always would stay in the kitchen or someplace else. And I remember 
uh, one night being invited to go, and it was kind of an honor to be invited to go and sit by the fire outside of their house at night. Now, it's still 100 degrees even in the evening on the equator. So I was like, wow, I get to go sit by the fire. Couldn't we have a big block of ice that we meet by? But I was invited to go, and, and I sat by the fire with this man, and, and, I, and it was still troubling in my mind that we couldn't eat together. Why can't we eat together? And um, I didn't know if it was their decision, our decision, you know, and I, I knew that we, we would be open to them doing that. And that night, that man came out and through the translator, thanked us for coming, told me about how he had been struggling with alcohol and abusing his own wife physically, and that he wanted to repent of those sins that night, and that he wanted to accept Christ to come in to cure the ills of his life. Ravaged by alcohol, ravaged by abuse, open. And then he offered me a bowl of soup. And we got to eat together. As we sat there and ate that porridge, I was glad that it was dark because I didn't know what was in there. (laughs) But I couldn't help but to think in the back of my mind all the visions of the book of Revelation, where every tribe and tongue and nation sit with the Father around the table enjoying the great meal that he has provided and everyone gets to sit there because the Father paid the way through the Son and drew us through the power of the Spirit. I felt like a bit of heaven was beaming down on me that night. You know, that's the beginning. The beginning of the marriage supper of the Lamb starts now with our community together. Sometimes we have that communion with God when we're alone with him. I was talking with someone about this at the end of this first service. But there's also communion with God where you're touching the life of another person. They're coming into the kingdom. You're being um, influenced by the kingdom. And in that time of service to that person who can't pay you back, God shows up. And he's real and he's alive. And the gospel isn't so heavenly minded anymore that it's no earthly good. The gospel comes to bear on that life and your life that day in that moment of service to them. As your pastor at Daybreak, I want to let you know, I don't think there's some gaping hole in our gospel here. I believe that we are a church and I see it with you. You're people who sacrifice, you're people who reach out, but I want next year to be the best that it can be. May we be next year in this coming year, the people, the people of God, that believe that all people need to come to that banquet table with God. And that we go out and we reach out and we love and are influenced by them too. Maybe we be the people who are discomforted so that others can come into the kingdom of God. I want to compliment you on the work that you've been doing inside and outside. But I also want to challenge you. May 2013 be a year of unsettlement for you. If you've become settled, and I love to become settled. If you talk to anybody you know uh, who knows me, I like to become settled. I like to set up my office, and I like to set my books in certain places, and I have my patterns where I keep my computer. And I like to be settled. In the next couple weeks, I'm going to be going up to Nyack, New York to take a course. And the first thing I'll do in the morning is I'll get to the classroom about 10 minutes before anybody else, and I'll hook up my laptop computer, and I'll stake out my claim. 
I'll get my Dunkin' Donuts coffee prominently there. I like to be settled. I like my routines. But I've realized that I'm coming to a place with God in my life where my routines, my spiritual routines with Him, my spiritual disciplines need to be shaken up and changed. I'm realizing that there's some things in my life, my routines, my social routines, they need to be shaken up and changed so that the light of the gospel doesn't become stale in my life. And that that God, for all of us and for me, restores to us the joy of our salvation and we can see the light of that decision that we made in eternity beaming down on our way and changing us to be walking in a life-changing journey with Jesus. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and I'm going to read to you a Franciscan benediction of blessing. The first time I heard this, it threw me off guard a little bit because it's a blessing that God will move you out of your comfort zone and move you into a zone of dependence on him that you've never had before. Listen to these words of blessing as I read them over you this morning. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers and half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live life from deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice and oppression and the exploitation of people so that you work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain and rejection and hunger and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world, so that you can do what others claim cannot be done, to bring justice and kindness and the good news of Jesus Christ to all of God's children and to the poor. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you for the next couple moments to just train your eyes on the screens and listen to the words of this song that talks about the great banquet of God.